Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. We're going to have a good time, but Acts chapter 12, uh, I'm going to read 17 verses if you're new to church, uh, a little bit more than usual, but that's every week now. And after we read 17 verses, I'm going to pray, I'm going to tell a couple stories, and then I'm going to tie everything that we read back into seven ideas today, seven points. We're going to write those points down, and my, my goal is this, is if you leave this week, and between now and next Sunday, you have a greater desire to connect with God in prayer, I did my job. If I didn't, it wasn't a bad message, it was a bad response. All right. Kidding. Now about that time, verse 1, chapter 12, this is kind of similar to what's going on right now. About that time, Herod... The king stretched out his hand and began to harass some from the church. There was some harassment going on. There was some hostility and animosity, and there was some division. And he actually went as far to actually kill James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, with a sword. And because that he saw that it pleased the Jews, it pleased the crowd, he was pleasing the crowd, that he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so that when he was arrested, they put him into prison. They delivered him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. There was a tradition in this era in the Roman world that they would actually murder or execute somebody after Passover, almost like sport, like gladiator. And so Peter was the selected target here. And it says Peter was therefore kept in prison. They couldn't kill him during Passover, but they would do it after Passover. So he was kept in prison, therefore. But constant prayer. Say it with me. Constant? Constant what? Constant prayer was offered to God for Peter by the church. I want you to know the most dangerous world to live in is the world that has a church that's not praying. But the church was praying for him by name. And when Herod was about to bring him out, the night before, Peter was actually sleeping handcuffed to two soldiers. Two guards were guarding the door, keeping him in prison. Verse 7, now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone on him from prison. And he was struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, get up, arise quickly. How many know, you know God pretty well if you can sleep on death row the night before you die. And we know he's in a deep sleep because he had to strike him on the side. Come on, that makes you feel good if you're a deep sleeper. Come on. Peter was a deep sleeper. He was snoring. Arise quickly and the chains fell off of his hands and the angel said to him, gird yourself, tie on your tevas, let's go. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So we went out and followed him and did not know that, the, that what was done by the angel was actually real. He thought that he was dreaming or seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city, which seemed to coincidentally open up on its own accord. And they went out down the street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he realized, oh my gosh, I know for certain that the Lord has sent an angel and delivered me from the expectation of the Jewish people. So he, when he gathered all this together, he considered this. He came to the house of Mary. Say it with me, Mary. Mary. Something about that, Mary. <laughs> Tough crowd. The mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door, a girl named Rose came and answered it. When she recognized Peter's voice, Because of her gladness, she didn't even open the door, but ran inside and announced that Peter stood outside. But the prayer meeting, praying for Peter to be released for seven days, seeking God for a miracle, heard that Peter was at the door and answered, you are beside yourself. 
Yet she kept insisting, no, for real, she's, he's outside. And then they said, it's his angel, which makes sense that angels were dead bolted out. But motioning, Peter continued knocking. I got to get through this. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. But motioning them to be quiet, keep silent, he declared to them how God brought him out of prison. And they said, go tell everybody, including James and the brethren in Jerusalem. And they departed to another place. I want to talk to you today about unconventional prayer. Is that all right? Unconventional, unconventional prayer. God, I just thank you for the next few moments we have together. I know that you can do a lot in a short window of time, so I just give you, Lord, we commit the next 30 minutes. God, whatever you want to say, do, speak, heal, touch, mend, restore, we just invite you, Lord, to have your way today. This is your, this is your church. These are your people. This is your city. This, this is your state. America belongs to you. The world is yours. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So, God, today we invite you to live, speak to all of us. Let your life flow. Bless the Lakers. Jesus' name. Come on, someone said amen. A amen. I, uh, I've been married for uh, 15 years in September. 15 years. Excited about 15 years of marriage. And uh, we have two little girls, and it's just amazing. But I think marriage is one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given humanity. All the married people said amen. Men, you better say something. It's not going to go well for you. I've been married, though, and it's funny, you get married, and I think one of the biggest things that I didn't know going into marriage is that you think that you're normal, and you think that your spouse is going to be just like you, and then it's not. It's not anywhere close to what you thought. You actually don't realize how dysfunctional you are until you get married to somebody else. I thought the way that I did everything was the right way. I assumed everything that Rochelle did was the wrong way. I tried to disciple her for years that there was a proper way to put on the toilet paper roll. Come on, over, not under. Come on, above and not beneath. Come on. Kentucky waterfall of love. It's like a mullet. Come on, somebody. This is, this is what I try to lead her into. Try to convince her not to strangle toothpaste. Lost cause. She tried to convince me not to put dirty clothes on top of the dryer. Lost cause. And probably the biggest thing that was kind of funny, we got into marriage, I mean, there's a few of them, but I mean, I thought making the bed was like, just kind of like one motion. <laughs> Guys, I know where I'm going with this, right? And you get married and you realize that it's a 12-step process. You got to tuck and fold and you got to fluff. There was never fluffing involved in making the bed before Rochelle. We didn't own 16 pillows. I didn't know that we were that wealthy. See how many pillows are on the bed? We must be rich. <laughs> had no idea. Rochelle, she had this, you know, phobia when we first got married. She was scared of leaving the dryer on when we left the house. She's like, it'll start a fire. I'm like, no, it's not, it doesn't start it when we're in the house. <laughs> I'd be more worried about the fire breaking out if we're here. <laughs> so she changes the lint filter, you know, about three times a load. And uh, I change it twice a year. I didn't know what a lint filter was until we got married. She said, you changed the lint filter? I'm like, no. What's a I think so. And she goes checking. I'm like, is there anything in there? She's like, it looks like a quilt. <laughs> like, is this lint? Or did you, like, did you make a sofa pillow? And so we, uh, we, uh, 
we realized all these things that were unconventional, kind of out of the ordinary, out of the norm. I had friends that were kind of out of the ordinary. Growing. Who has that one friend that always thought about things that no one else thought about? You ever meet that guy growing up? Maybe you are that guy. I had friends that would ask these like crazy theological, philosophical questions. You know, like, like how do they know how long to make the bungee? I'm like, I don't know. This one really got me. And one of my buddies said, he said this, he goes, um, he said, where is it at? I want to read this to you. This is a good one. Uh, he says, oh, man, where, I think I lost it. He basically, oh yeah, who locks the door when the bus driver gets out? That'll blow your mind. I was thinking about some of these things. Like the first teacher never, never went to school. Powerful. I was like, wow. I was thinking, why do people say tuna fish, but they don't say beef cow or chicken bird? I'm like, that's a great observation. This is only for second service. A buttload of underwear is only one pair. Isn't that good? That was only for second service. <laughs> that is funny. I don't care who you are. Come on, give God a hand clap. That was good. That was a good joke. It's unconventional. Just unconventional. I was thinking about, you know, today we live in a world that, much like Acts chapter 12, had a lot of crazy things going on. Uh, I can't imagine your pastor getting arrested and murdered, and then they arrest the associate pastor, and now he's on death row. I can't imagine. I mean, we think that we're facing some pretty heavy, and I think there is some, some real darkness going on right now, and obviously there's some things that need to be pushed back and evicted. Come on, in Jesus' name. But I, I want to make, make, make us all aware of this idea that the early church was facing far more darkness, it seems, than we're currently facing in America right now. I mean, I don't know of any pastors personally that have been arrested and murdered, and then there's uh, uh, another pastor arrested and getting ready to follow the same pattern. Now, uh, I, I thought about this as I was reading through this, and what did the early church do? And I just thought it was funny because in the light of everyone on social media, which, by the way, social media is pretty much reverse confessionals, um, and you're just seeing all this stuff out there. It's confusing, and it's maddening, and everyone's sharing and throwing up on each other, and everyone just stinks like throw up. Come on. And I'm just like, man, it's crazy that you look at what's going on in the world and people keep saying, and I, and I, listen, I do agree with this statement, but people keep saying, we have to do more than pray. And the answer is yes. Can I get an amen? Yeah. We do have to do more than that. I think we do need to vote. We need to vote in September and, or October, maybe September too. We need all the voting we can get. Come on. We got to vote. We got we to we do all these things, get involved in our city and helping out. We've been going to Watts. We've been going to San Juan. We've been helping those that are going through a hard time financially. We've been giving money. There's a lot of things we're doing, but I want to push back a little bit because our generation, I want to be, be aware of this. The younger generation thinks that prayer is not enough. And I want to I wanna agree with you that the way that our generation prays is not enough. But that does not mean that prayer is not enough. It means that we do not know how to pray in America. I am convinced now more than ever that we have a people that do not know how to really call on God. We know how to bless our macaroni and cheese. We know how to pray prayers like God is good, God is great, thank you for this food, come on, amen. We know how to call on God when we see the red lights flashing in our rear view mirror as we're pulled over by the police officer. We know how to pray when we get sentenced to the, to the principal's office. We know how to, are you following me? We know how to pray when we get our report card and mom and dad, we're trying to figure out how do we hide this thing. We learn how to pray in moments like this, but we really don't know how to pray like the early church prayed. Yeah. 
find it interesting that the early church could have done a lot of things, but the one thing we don't see them doing is we don't see them physically going to the prison trying to break him out. I'm like, man, I, I wonder, I, and this is what really got me when I read this. I'm like, man, this is unconventional. If, if, if one of the great pastors of America got arrested and murdered, and then they arrested another great pastor, in the light of the murder of the previous pastor, you know what my, my, my uh, conviction would be? Is I think most American Christians would start planning the funeral. The church would have met, but they'd been like, man, let's start celebrating his life. Let's start a GoFundMe for his family. That's what they would have done. But that's not, the, that's not our early forefathers. The people that actually started this thing called Christianity were those that actually believed that prayer was not a second-class power. It was not what you do when you want to bless some mac and cheese and you want to sing, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. That annoyed, you? annoyed me. Come on. God does not want us to, to have these little patty cake, watered down, God if you care, God if you can, God maybe if you're in the mood, God maybe, I don't know if you can really do anything in the earth today. I am convinced that the early church knew something that we do not know today. I'm shocked that in Luke chapter 11, the disciples didn't say, hey, teach us how to get rich. Teach us how to be powerful. Teach us how to be popular. But what they did ask, when they could have asked Jesus anything, is they said, would you please teach us how to pray like, like, like John taught his disciples how to pray? Why, if you could ask God, listen, 12 guys had an audience with God for three and a half years, and the major request they brought to him was teach us how to pray. Could it be that they knew something about prayer that we do not know today? Because I think if most of us had a genie opportunity with God, we wouldn't be asking him, hey, teach me how to pray. I think we'd be asking him, like, hey, teach me how to be famous. Teach me how to be influential. Teach me how to change political powers. But I think what we don't, we don't know is, is that the disciples knew that everything else that we wanted was connected to knowing how to pray. Yeah, it was better than your response. Come on, give God a hand clap today. Prayer changes stuff. I read this, I was reading all these books on prayer this week, but God of his own motion has placed himself under the law of prayer. He will do things for the praying that he wouldn't do otherwise. Prayer puts God to work on the earth in the same token, prayerlessness rules God out of the affairs of the world. I believe that God historically has changed the world when people were changed by prayer. Prayer changes the climate of the earth. Prayer, listen to me, write some of this stuff down. Prayer always carries us back to Jesus. Prayer carries us back to God. Prayer is not begging. Prayer is believing. And the problem with most of us is we pray beggar's prayers. God, if you have any scraps from your table. God, if you have any, if you have any divinity left for humanity. God, would you please spare us? Would you please, would you please, would you just, whatever this means. Would you do this? But I want you to know that prayer is not begging. It's believing that God wants to. Prayer is actually believing that God wants to do it more than you want to do it, beyond what you want to do, as often as you want to do it. Prayer is God. It's not talking God into something he doesn't already want to do. It's actually agreeing with him. Prayer is powerful. We pray as we live and we live as we pray, one theologian said. I'll say that again. We pray as we live and we actually live as we pray. Some of us have never experienced the ecstasy, the power, the fulfillment, the delight, the joy of connecting with the God that made everything out of nothing. Most people don't realize that Samuels were birthed out of people like Hannah that knew how to pray. 
and it was the prayer of a, of a barren mom that produced a son that did more than any politician has ever done in the world. Samuel came on the scene because of a praying mama. Can I get an amen? I can't tell you how many people that have changed the world because of praying moms and dads, praying grandmas and praying grandpas. Someone's like, this is an old school message. Listen, there's something about the old school that changes the new school. And I'm telling you today that Daniel distinguished himself by prayer. Influenced four plus kings. Why? Because he knew how to pray three times a day. Daniel realized that it was connecting with God that unlocked the potential of the impossible. Daniel prayed three times a day, so much so that the only, the only Achilles heel that his enemies could find is the only way we can screw Daniel up is if we can somehow outlaw prayer. Because that's the one thing he won't stop doing. Daniel influenced the kings of the world because he knew how to connect with God in prayer. Yes. Esther changed the fate of an entire nation. Why? Because she called the entire nation to pray and to fast for three days. Genocide could have happened, should have happened. But what happened was the person that actually intended darkness to hit was actually hung on the gallows that he built for somebody else. You know, that's what prayer does. That's what Rashawn, I've been praying. I'm, I've been praying, God, let the darkness that's intended for your people in this land actually be the very gallows that hangs the darkness itself. If you can do it for Haman, you can do it today. And we see that Esther changed her nation through prayer. Abraham, again, he spared Lot, his nephew, his, his family, because he intervened. He stood in the gap. Prayer is standing between God and people. It's standing between God and his desires in the world. And I love Moses even. Moses shows us in uh, the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. He goes on the mountain. Are you with me today? And he goes up to get the Ten Commandments. You saw the movie? Come on. And he's up on the mountaintop. And while he's gone with Joshua on the mountain, it says that Aaron was basically forced by the mob to create an idol of gold. And they start sacrificing and they start doing all these demonic and satanic rituals that the people that God drove out of the land used to practice. And God was so disappointed with the humanity at that point as he told Moses, look, step aside, son. I'm angry. It's done. And Moses in one minute did more than Aaron's miraculous rod did during the ten plagues of Israel. God actually spared an entire nation because one man named Moses stood between God and the people. And I wonder, man, if one man could actually change the fate of a nation then... I wonder if God could still change the fate of your family now. If he could change the fate of the economy now. If he could change the fate of, of America. I, and again, I know that Jesus is the ultimate mediator. He's the ultimate intercessor. He's the ultimate one that stands between humanity and God. Because he is God. And, and I was reading through this this week, and I just started thinking over and over again that, that we are a praying people. And I think that part of the reason that there's no power in the North American church is because there's no prayer in the North American church. We pray these lukewarm, watered-down, domesticated, no teeth in the mouth of the lion prayers. And I believe that God wants to put the teeth back in the church. Come on, somebody. That's what prayer does. Prayer actually gives us our bite back. It gives us the ability to actually gnaw on the things that are, that are coming against us. The apostles in chapter 6, verse 4, it says that, hey, guys, we're getting too busy. The apostles, listen, these are guys that knew Jesus, walk with Jesus. They themselves, Peter was like, man, I've gotten so busy working for God that I've been forgetting to spend time. Now, can I ask you a question? You think if they got too busy that we could get too busy? 
Does anybody think that it's possible for us to slide into a slope? That we're actually, maybe we've, we've gotten so busy in life that we've actually outdone our schedule for what matters the most. And they said, we got to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Jesus is all about praying. There was long prayers, short prayers. I like the short ones. Come on. He prayed 40 days and 40 nights. But he also prayed a couple words. Lazarus, come forth. That was a three-word prayer. But it was powerful. Prayer is not gauged on the volume of your voice, but the intention and the passion of your heart. Prayer is connecting with God. How long do you pray? You pray until something happens. We pray until we experience breakthrough. We, we pray until we start seeing things begin to shift and change. This is, this is how we, this is when we, this is when we stop praying is we see things. Jesus said in John 15, 7, that if you abide me and my words abide in you, you will ask and it will be given to you. He says in John 14, he says, he says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, Jesus basically advocates that some things won't happen unless you come to me believing. Prayer changes the climate. He says, in, I mean, Revelations 8, verse 3, it says, it, John gives us a picture of eternity, and it says that the angels were so on the edge of their seats, watching as this bowl is filled up of the prayers of the saints. And it was the prayers of the church that actually caused the angels and the power of God to begin to cause uh, transformation and change and reformation in the world. And so some people go, Mark, well, the, praying was like an old covenant thing. Like, we don't have to pray anymore because we're, like, under grace and, like, Jesus does all the praying for us. So we sit on our hands and we duct tape our mouths and we just, we binge watch Netflix all day. I want you to know that Jesus himself was an advocate for prayer. But I find over and over again that with a, the, I don't know, do you remember this? The church was born in a um, prayer meeting. Peter and John healed a guy that was lame his whole life on the way to a prayer meeting. That Peter gets arrested, not once, not twice. When we read in Acts chapter 12, this is the third time this guy's been arrested. First two times he got arrested because he healed a guy that was lame his whole life. The other time he got arrested because his shadow was healing people. And now he's in prison because one of his peers gets his head taken off. And he's next in line. But I, I love this, that he had, the, he had the confidence to sleep the night before his execution because he knew the power of a praying church. He knew that prayer could push back the forces of darkness and release things on the earth to happen that no ordinary would not happen. Prayer changes things. Can I get a good amen? Some of you, some of you are here today because someone's been praying for you. I stand on this stage because I had a grandmother that prayed for me every single day. She prayed for all of her grandkids. I'm the first one, not the only one, but I'm the first one right now to adhere to the prayers that she's prayed. And I tell you, and I, I kid you not, that I believe that you show me something great on the earth, I'll show you someone that collaborated with God. Yeah. One, one scholar said that there is nothing great on the earth without prayer. Because without prayer, God's involvement, involvement is not there. It's not present. Prayer is what God, gets God enlisted into the affairs and the actions of the earth. And I love this because in this passage, we see seven truths about prayer. Number one is we learn that prayer unlocks the impossible. Prayer unlocks the impossible. How many think there's, how many think that there's some impossibilities in our world right now? Yeah. Is this ever going to get better? Is this ever going to go away? Is there ever going to be peace? Is there ever going to be unity? Are we ever going to look like a united states? Are we going to continue to be a divided states? Is there, is there hope for America? Is there hope for the future? 
And I want to encourage you today, come on, early, early church people taught us this, that prayer unlocks the impossible. Can I get a good amen? I need a good amen right here. Prayer unlocks the impossible. Now listen to me, if, if your pastor was arrested, come on, I was arrested, they killed, they killed me, it, would our first response be, we got to get together and call on God? They say here that they weren't just praying one night, it was actually likely they prayed up to seven days. Seven consecutive days praying for the release of St. Peter. And as they're praying for Peter, it's crazy because what we know is that prayer goes beyond unlocking just the impossible. Number two, here's what I know. is some of you are facing impossibilities, what changes things, Mark? I want to answer your question. It's prayer. It's connecting with God. How do we know this? Because number two, prayer always dispatches the divine, the angelic, and men. Write it like this. Prayer moves God, angels, and men. Come on, say it with me. God, angels, men. Some of you are like, man, it's so weird. I prayed about this last week and it happened this week. That's a coincidence. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how many coincidences there are in life when you pray? Yeah. Man, I was praying for a best friend. I met this guy. And I, I was praying for a wife and I met Rochelle. And I, man, I was praying for a job and I got hired. And I, I was, it's so weird. That's weird. <laughs> I remember, this, this, this is a funny coincidence if you're an atheist. Check this coincidence out. My father-in-law is 62 years old. I am one of 30 college students at the church in Idaho. He does not know me from Adam. I like his daughter. His daughter is stalking me. Come on. Part of the story is true. I'm like, God, you got to put me on his radar. I'm a nobody. That's like, I got I to gotta discover who my, he's got to figure out who I am so I can date his daughter. And so I go on a trip from Idaho to where my brother was living at the time, the Antelope Valley. I'm in Palmdale. I'm in the, I'm in the armpit of California. Come on. And I'm in the high desert, and I'm there for literally one week. I, I lived in Idaho for 17 years. I went back to the AV, the Antelope Valley, probably four times. This is the first time that I go back to the Antelope. I'm there for one week. Literally, probably the only time I went to the Antelope Valley, one week in five years. So I'm there. Do the math on this, mathematicians. I'm there one week out of five years, okay? And the week that I'm there, my brother Chuck, my oldest brother, uh, I call him Satan sometimes, but his name's Luce. No, his name's Chuck. And... Uh, he was going to a Bible study. He went to a Bible study, a business Bible study, for probably 12 months out of his adult life. He's 43 years old now. So 12 months out of his life, he was going to a business Bible study. They met once a month on a Monday morning at 6 a.m. He went to it three times a year. So three times is an entire life, 42 years, okay? It is in the wrong part of town at a little dive restaurant, and he's walking out of the... Are you with me today? I'm going somewhere. He's walking out of this one of three time Bible studies he's ever been to at 6.30 in the morning. And guess who he bumps into in the parking lot of the Antelope Valley at a shady, low, like, like a, a rough hotel. It's Ken Wilde, my future father-in-law. What he didn't know was is that he was there because the camp was the first time ever going to this campground. They didn't know the area. They booked a shady hotel. All the pastors stayed there. It was supposed to be my, my brother-in-law was supposed to speak at this youth camp. He got sick. My father-in-law went in his place. Ken Wilde is 62 years old. He's been to the Antelope Valley one time in his whole life. And the one time he was there, he was walking out of his hotel, which was a 25-yard walk from his room to his car, while my brother Chuck was walking out of the hotel or out of the restaurant, driving out of the parking lot. Ken Wilde is standing in front of him. Yeah. And guess, my brother calls me, he goes, you'll never guess what just happened. I bumped into Ken Wilde. I said, I want to marry his daughter. 
So guess who hosts Ken Wilde for the next three days in the Antelope Valley? I drove him around. That's a coincidence. He was only in your city in California, home of a, a billion people, and he's in your hometown for, for one day in that, in that hotel, and your brother bumps into him. That's a coincidence. I could go all service on the coincidences that the non-believing world has a hard time explaining. That it's not needle in a haystack. That's the state of Texas covered in quarters this deep and reaching down and picking out a quarter dollar. This is, this is not, are you hearing me? Ian Bounds said that when I fail to pray, coincidences cease to exist. Prayer is what unlocks the divine. Prayer is what connects us to God. Are you hearing me today? I love this because prayer moves God and angels and men. Angels were dispatched. Verse 7, he stood in the prison. He woke Peter up. Are you with me today? And watch what happens next. Prayer does not just move God. It doesn't just unlock the impossible. It begins to wake up the sleeper. I love that the angel comes in and has to wake Peter out of a deep sleep. I got news for some of you today. Some of you have family members, loved ones, children, wives, husbands, neighbors, coworkers that are spiritually completely asleep. How do you wake up a sleeping world? Good question. I got a good answer for you. It's connecting with God in prayer. Prayer will actually send the power of the divine and the angelic to wake up people in a way that nothing else can wake people up. Some of you, right, I'm telling you today, mark my words, some of you are getting ready to encounter the power and the presence of God. And it's because at 745 this morning, this room was full of our leaders, and we were calling God's attention to this space. We laid hands in every one of your chairs. Oh, my gosh, you did? Yeah, we did. We prayed that miracles would happen for the person standing or sitting in that chair today. We pray that cancer would be healed. We pray that divorces would be stopped. We pray that God would intervene for those getting ready to go bankrupt. We pray for sons and daughters away from God. When we pray, things begin to shift because we know this, that prayer can wake up the sleeper. Peter, get up. Why does he have to get up? Because someone's been praying for you. There is a room, there is a house. It's a woman's house, Mary. The headquarters for the early church, I love it. It was at a woman's house. I love telling my brothers that don't believe God can use women in ministry. Hello, church. Put that in your pipe and smoke that. Come on. They're at Mary's house. Church is praying. And I love it because they bombard. This angel breaks in. He says, get up. Wake up. Because prayer won't just wake people up that are asleep. Guess what else it'll do? It'll raise people up and it'll release people. Some of you right now, you know what you're in? You're in bondage. You're in addictions. You can't shake the habit that you have with substance abuse or maybe it's pills or maybe you've been cutting yourself or maybe it's sexual perversion or maybe you're living a double lifestyle. You're like, I can't stop doing what I'm doing. And I got news for you that prayer is the, it is the connection that's required to release the prisoner. God, I can't stop this by myself. Would you help me? David said, I cried out to the Lord and he heard my prayer. Throughout history, God heard the prayer of Solomon. God, I can't leave these people. Give me wisdom. And God heard the prayer of Solomon. God answered the prayer of David. God heard the prayer of Moses. God heeded the voice of Esther. God heard Jonah's voice from the belly of a whale. Come on. Throughout history, men have moved the hands of God with their mouths. And I believe today that some of you don't realize this, that getting out of the addiction, the vice, the chains... It's connected to connecting with God in prayer. I'm not talking a little water. To God, just please help. Amen. Can you imagine if you told your wife that every day? I love you, all right? Love you. What does love do? Love spends time. 
Love doesn't just ask for things. Love gives. Wise men once said that you can love somebody, that you can give to somebody without loving them, but you can't love somebody without giving to them. Love wants to give something. And I love this because when you connect with God in prayer, it begins to give you this desire to get free. It's crazy. No one told me to stop looking at pornography. No one told me to stop doing certain things. But when I encountered the presence of Jesus, all of a sudden the things that didn't bother me before started to make me feel dirty. I'm like, I think this is wrong. I didn't hear a preacher saying, you're going to hell. You're a sinner. I'm talking like I love teeth. Um, no one told me that. When the Holy Spirit moved inside of me, all of a sudden my appetites are like, oh, this is wrong. I shouldn't do that with my girlfriend anymore. Probably should stop watching. Man, that music, it's like making me feel dirty. Never bothered me before. Who's ever tried to go back and watch a movie that you loved growing up? And you went back to watch, you're like, oh my gosh, I was, I was a devil. I was completely jaded and desensitized. And I try to watch the movies now, it's like, man, they must have changed this thing. This must be like Disney Plus, just kind of demonic stuff going on. But the reality is, is the movie didn't change, but God changed you. God made you more like Him. Where do you get free? Prayer. You connect with God, He begins to change the insides of the temperatures of your stomach and your spirit. I believe some of you have sons, daughters, family, friends that are in bondage. I'm, I'm not against, I, I'm for AA. I think that rehab, I think all those things are great tools and great weapons and to help people get free, and I'm for them. I have a brother that did rehab. I have, I have a brother that got treatment for cancer. He had lymphoma. He had a grapefruit the size of a, he had a mass inside of his chest the size of a grapefruit. I was like, he had a grapefruit the size of a grapefruit. It's crazy. It's a watermelon, like a watermelon. <laughs> I think God can heal with medicine. But listen to me, this is, where I, this is where I would disagree with some of my, my Christian brothers in the church world, the dispensationalist camp, is I think God can heal with medicine, but I also believe that he can heal sovereignly. That's my next point, is it? Actually, it's my two points down the road. Is I believe that, that God uses prayer to fulfill dreams. Peter in verse, Peter in verse um, 9, he goes, he didn't know it was real. He's like, this is like crazy. I think I'm dreaming. You know what prayer does? When you begin to pray into the things that God's put in your heart, it'll actually release those dreams. You see, I believe in a God that can heal through medicine. I believe in a God that can provide naturally. But I also believe in a God that can speak sovereignly in a moment. I believe that cancer can be healed instantaneously. I'm not against counseling. I think it's awesome. I think everyone, man, it benefit from counseling. But I believe in a God that can do more in one moment than maybe a lifetime of counseling. I believe in a God that can heal trauma, abuse, PTSD. Are you hearing me? I believe in a God that can stabilize a bipolar brain. I believe in a God that can break off that heaviness of depression and discouragement and anxiety. Are you hearing me? I believe that God can evict the spirit of suicide. I, I'm not against natural things, but I'm also not against supernatural things. And I don't care if God wants to deliver with many or if God wants to deliver with few. I've read the Bible. I know that God can deliver with thousands of people or he can deliver with 300. Come on, Gideon. God can do it with a lot or with a little. And I don't really care. I just ask that he does it. God will fulfill dreams through prayer. How about this? He'll open up sovereign doors. What do you mean? I believe that God can do in one minute things that maybe would take a lifetime elsewhere. God can break off a lineage in your family of divorce, lying, stealing. Maybe you have a family line of just anger. 
Maybe there's a bunch of just discouragement in your family, depression. Listen, God, listen, hear me. They call it the good news because it's good. <laughs> What's the good news to a liar? You don't have to lie anymore. What's good news to someone that's in poverty? You don't have to stay poor the rest of your life. What's good news to a sick person? You don't have to be sick the rest of your life. Does that mean that God hears? Does that mean that every prayer we pray, God answers? Can you please answer that honestly? Would you please say no? Try it out. No, I think he does. No, he doesn't. Because if he answered every prayer you pray, guess what? You become God. Now you're puppeteering life and creation. Part of what makes God who he is is that he chooses at his discretion what he chooses to honor or allow. By the way, I think that if you ever wrote God off because of what he allowed, you're still missing it because we don't know the full story until eternity. Some of you will be rejoined with family and friends and tragedy and the loss of life. I'm telling you, heaven will tell us the full story. You don't ever judge a movie by the first three minutes of it. Watch the end. Come on. The pursuit of happiness, I would have gave up. I wanted to quit that movie like 25 times. But someone's like, you gotta stay till the end. All right, fine. I don't think it was redemptive enough for me personally. I needed it to be even better. Come on. But I love a good ending. And I believe that that's what eternity does. It gives a good ending. Come on. Almost finished. I believe the last thing that prayer will do is it'll astonish the world. Are you with me today? I don't know who I'm talking to, but I just feel like if you want to get your teeth back spiritually, you got to realize that connecting with God unlocks the impossible. Connecting with God actually moves God, angels, and men. It actually wakes those that are sleeping. It'll raise those that are sit down. It'll actually release those that are addicted to bondage and sickness, diseases, ailments. It'll fulfill the dreams that are in your heart. It'll open up sovereign doors. And how about this? It'll astonish the world. Would you stand your feet with me today? I don't know who you are, but I got good news for you today that God specializes in doing the impossible as we connect with him. Can I point out something funny? Peter gets out of prison supernaturally because the church is praying for him seven days. Open up. And he hears, come on, he probably, hear, he probably hears uh, some of the guys in there, like John's in there praying, God, you just love Peter so much. That was a church joke. You love Peter so much. God is love. Perfect love cast out all fear. He's praying, right? Mary starts praying. God, I just thank you that you're going to get a hold of Peter, that you're going to get him out of there. We pray you send angels, deliver him, and rescue him, right? And all of a sudden, like, Peter hears them calling and praying his name. And he's trying to get in. God got Peter out of prison, but Peter could not get himself into the prayer meeting. And finally, Rose, she, she gets to the door, and he's like, it's me, Peter. And she's like, oh, my gosh. She runs in. She's like, Peter's here. And they're like, God, please get a hold of Peter. Rose's like, he's here. No, shh. He, get a hold of Peter. Help Peter out. And it's so funny because this is what most believers do today. Even those of us that pray passionately don't really believe sometimes what we're believing for, what we're praying for. I don't know who you are. I, I, I hear you. I feel you. I, I feel like at times, man, there's just so much darkness in the world. There's so much evil in the world. Can anything change? I feel that. But I remind myself that I do not live by feelings alone. What I've learned is that faith believes that God can change things in a moment. And I love this phrase. I wrote this down. Is that even good theology, the sad but true fact is, is good theology plus unbelief always leads to fear and confusion. Good theology with unbelief 
Why does the Bible always say, believe? Come on, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get baptized? Yes, only believe. And there's over and over again, believe, 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 believe. Connecting with God, it, it starts in the soil of belief. God, I believe you do love me. I believe you do want to speak to me. I believe I can co-labor with you. I believe that I can partner with you. You'll give me solutions that will actually push back the forces of darkness. Anybody here today believe that? Prayer is what actually connects us with the divine. And so I want to just encourage us today that we're not going to be scared when our prayers start answering. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.